Hi, I'm Dan. And I'm Emily. And welcome to the Solent Sessions podcast. Just a show where we explore our minds, chat about lived experiences and hear the powerful stories of real people living real lives. From conversations with wellbeing experts and people in the community, we'll learn what it really means to be your own best friend. We won't hold back though. And we'll be having some of those real, raw and sometimes difficult conversations to help raise awareness in the world of well-being. So let's dive right in. Hello to all of you that have tuned in wherever you may be. We are, as always, very excited to have you with us today. I hope that whatever you are doing or have been up to, you are managing to take some time for yourself and show yourself some kindness. My partner in crime, so to speak, is here with me as always. Hello, Dan. I am your partner in crime, actually. Hello, Em. How's it going? <laughs> I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. We were pondering about this earlier, but I'm a little bit disappointed of how little snow we actually had. And it's all melted away now. So I'm sure that's had a bit of an effect on my well-being because I really wanted to go outside and make a snow angel. But um, <laughs> I can't anymore. So, yeah. <laughs> that's how I am today. Oh, I know that's what you would have done to show yourself some kindness today, go and play in the snow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we've got nice sunshine here now, so we are very blessed with a bit of nice weather. Um so in what is our second episode of the Solent Sessions podcast, um we're going to be discussing the ways in which you can pave your way to better health. And um, we have occupational health and wellbeing practitioner Hetty Thompson with us today. Uh, we're going to be delving into the world of diet, hydration and healthy lifestyle choices that we can easily weave into our daily lives. And we're also going to be touching on the benefits of a healthy lifestyle um, and the benefit it has not only on our bodies, but our mental well-being too. Um, and we have the lovely Hetty with us now. Hello, Hetty. Hello, you okay? Hello. Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. No, you're welcome. Yeah, pleased to be here. Um, so we're here today to talk about ways in which we can start a path to better health. Um, but before we dive into that, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, how did you get to be so interested in health and well-being? So, yeah, so quite an interesting uh, question, actually. So I started off with studying um, exercise science. That's what I did at undergrad. So I was a bit more into sort of sport, really enjoyed that at school. Um, and I didn't really think about the health benefits of it, to be honest. It was just something I really like loved. So I like doing netball, rounders, all the sort of team sports. Mm -hmm. And then um, I sort of had a bit of a twist when I did my dissertation. I thought about how can a gluten-free diet actually implicate um, sort of your exercise performance. So then I sort, sort of started getting a bit more interested in sort of the nutrition aspect of it. Um, and then that's what led me to choose my master's, actually. So I did nutrition, physical activity and public health. And that's kind of broadened me out more to overall health and well-being. And it was really about actually how can we implement behavior change interventions and um, really improve people's health and well-being with small steps rather than taking drastic sort of diets and things like that. So then that led to my, uh, my job just previous to this role. So I worked in Southampton Healthy Living. And as some of you might know, it was a community-based sort of um, uh, yeah, service where we offered weight management, smoking cessation, alcohol. Um, but unfortunately, that, yeah, that service was decommissioned. So now I'm part of Occupational Health doing a very similar role, just with a bit of a different twist on it. So, yeah, that's sort of me in a bit of a nutshell. Oh, brilliant. So we we get to steal you from that project. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been here yeah, in Ocal probably about a year, year and a bit now. Yeah, it's been quite a while. So, yeah, it's gone, gone, yeah, gone really quickly, flown by. Oh, brilliant. Um, so going 
sort of back to how we can kickstart um, better health. Uh, what do you do personally to incorporate healthy lifestyle choices into your sort of daily routine? I know for me, I like to kick off the day with a bit of yoga. So make sure I get up a little bit earlier and sort of um, give myself half an hour to do some exercise because I feel like it really sets me up for the day. But what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. I suppose like everyone. So I, I try to maintain the healthiest lifestyle possible. But yeah, I have some slip ups and some days where I'm probably not as healthy as I'd like to be. But I suppose <laughs> I suppose at the moment, the biggest thing I'm trying to do is because I'm working from home is really consider how I'm healthy in terms of physically and mentally. So really giving myself that structure and routine. So trying to get up, make sure I have a shower, sort of get dressed and really set myself up in that mindset to work. Um, so I guess that as a whole, little things that I really like to focus on is actually going out for walks and keeping active. I know that's really good for my, my mental state and releases endorphins, all that sort of stuff. Um, I guess, yeah, other little things I like to do. I'm, I'm, I'm a big thing on nutrition. So the reason, one of the reasons I got into it actually was I suffer with a few food intolerances. So for me being really sort of key on what I'm eating um, and being really cautious around that is something that I do to try and maintain that I'm healthy. So yeah, just a few of those things. And I guess keeping my motivation up, so setting myself small goals. <laughs> That's super interesting though, Hetty, because I think, you know, you reflected quite quite well on, on certainly the difference really that we've all got at the moment of, mm. you know, setting ourselves up within this new working environment so some of us have been working from home other people have just had a really heightened pressure into their working environment or being redeployed in something else and I and I do think you know when we think about working from home I think we can you know be guilty of looking at it with some rose-tinted spectacles you know and certainly when in normal quotation marks times when we looked back it was like working from home was was you know perceived as a nicety and actually you wouldn't have any of those external impacts that might you know uh, be detrimental to our physical and mental well-being and you know as you mentioned those small small but very achievable goals are so so important for people certainly for their mental well-being at the moment you know getting up making sure they you know adding that routine you know congratulating themselves on the small wins as well and being able to say you know what maybe I am having a a poor mental health day today or maybe I'm a little bit lower today than than I have been but actually look what I've done you know and I've managed to do that maintain my routine um, and have a sense of normality on a very base level, you know, being able to to feel a little bit no more normal in a time that is for a lot of people very, very unusual. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's a really big thing, isn't it? Like we don't really consider our mental health. And like some people might be thinking or listening to this and thinking, I don't have mental health. But we all know that actually mental health is just as exactly the same. It's the opposite of your physical health, isn't it? So we all suffer with it. And just little triggers like, thinking like before you'd get up and drive and go to another environment whereas now if you're working from home you're in the same environment all day so just think about breaking that up it just so yeah massively influences our how we feel and our mental health overall so yeah no, i totally agree that kind of kind of feeds into the next one um which is you know nutrition specifically you know and i know that you've you've specialized certainly within that you know nutrition world and actually you know what what effect and what impact can nutrition ha really have, you know, fundamentally on our mental health and what foods, you know, and nutrition's um, can help to keep us mentally healthy? Yeah, so really, yeah, really interesting question. So just to slightly start off a little bit broader, we might know, but there's a bi-directional relationship between our physical health and mental health. 
So basically, if we practice good physical health, we're more likely to have better mental health and vice versa. So like, as you said, this really does translate into the relationship between our nutrition and our mental health. So what we, what we eat, some of you might know, actually influences exactly how we feel in our psychological state. So something that maybe people are more familiar with equally, on the other hand, is actually how we feel affects what we eat. So that could be that we eat more or we eat less or we, we choose different things like food, mm. tie and sugar. So as you can see, just from that, you could get caught up in a bit of a vicious cycle. So really, we could be in a low mood and then we could eat more. And then what we eat affects how we feel. So I guess just to give a little bit of context to that. So, for example, I'm sure we've all had bad days where we've gone gone to the cupboard and tried to find some comfort food such as chocolate. Yeah, that gives us that really sort of when we eat the chocolate, it gives that really like really short term, quick satisfaction feeling. Um, but actually past this, the impl implications can be negative. So a lot of studies suggest that there's actually a relationship between um, sugar intake and depression and also sugar intake and um, the onset of Alzheimer's later on in life. So there's actually quite, yeah, quite a considerable relationship there when you consider just some of the chocolates and sweet they're eating to make ourselves feel better actually can have negative consequences. Wow. But you know what? I hadn't even, I hadn't known that at all. You know, when you really come to think of it, I guess, you know, as you say, we've all really sort of been guilty of when we feel a bit rubbish sort of maybe our thing is to go I don't know get some ice cream or chocolate like you say Hetty um but actually sort of I wonder if there's something that we could do to maybe sort of stop and think before we sort of reach for those foods and before we sort of do that I, mean, I guess make that decision to think do you know what is this actually really going to help me yeah absolutely I think that's the, the hardest thing, isn't it? Because for most of us, this is subconscious. It's habitual. We've been doing it for years. We've probably been um, like had it since childhood. Like if you're feeling a little bit low, your mum would give you a biscuit. So there's such a, a big association there. But actually, it's a bit of a funny analogy. But I like to, when if I'm seeing someone trying to support them with making changes, I like to compare it to smoking. So mm. in, in essence, when you're, when you're craving a cigarette, you're craving that nicotine. Um, and when you have the cigarette, it sort of helps that, doesn't it? It obviously gives you that boost that you need. Um, and the biggest thing you can do is try and reduce the, the well, in increase the time, actually, sorry, between the time you're craving and giving in. It's like you said there, Emily, exactly that. So as soon as you're craving something food-wise, try and sit back and think, okay, why am I craving this? What's going on? What could I do differently? Um, and really, yeah, try and increase that time rather than just doing the automatic, go for it straight away. Yeah, and I know I've heard a lot of, I can't remember who who used to say it to me or where I've got it from, um, but when I was younger, it was a lot of, you're not hungry or thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> but, so you're not actually hungry and you don't want all that food. You're probably not drunk enough. Yeah, it's definitely a, a, it's a mix up of sort of, yeah, yeah, the brain and the, yeah, how you're feeling at the time, isn't it? And a big thing is when you're hungry, you could be dehydrated. So exactly that, having a drink first. Um, and filling your stomach up with water can be re really beneficial so yeah that's a very good point <laughs> there's also I guess there's also as well sort of linking into our next question is if you were to sort of get into that habit of reaching for those I don't want to say well negative foods maybe I know they're not negative for everybody but in terms of maybe like the sugar intake and things um is sort of the guilt that we surround ourselves in sometimes when we can talk about food and it's more sort of how we can shift that 
negative and guilt mindset associated with certain food groups. So obviously we have to think about healthy choices and sort of incorporating foods into our diet. But in terms of, yeah, guilt may be surrounded as food in, in as a whole. How can we sort of separate ourselves from that if, if we've sort of had that one day where we might have slipped, but we don't let it ruin our week? And it's, it's such a tricky one. I think to some, to a certain degree, we all struggle with this just on different sort of ranges. But I think the biggest thing is, so if I would say a key message when I talk to people is that there are no good or bad foods. We've got this social, social culture where obviously like high fats, um, treats, all that kind of stuff is bad for us. But actually the main thing is having it in moderation. So allowing yourself those treats, not depriving yourself and not punishing yourself when you do have it. And if you are slipping into certain bad habits, like you said, there and sort of feel like it's going to roll on to the next day, the day after, et cetera, it's really actually your brain is powerful. So it's considering how are you feeling at that time and writing down what's been good. So you might have slipped up on, I don't know, had a few more chocolates, but what else went well mm. that day? So really focus on the positive and not the negatives. Your mindset, yeah. It's, it's really powerful. interesting though, like, and going a bit off piece. Like for someone, you know, I've been very vocal over the, the past few years about, yeah, suffering quite heavily with anorexia when I was younger and, and certainly having that disassociation mm. with food and and it and it is one of that tricky line because I do think you're right, um, Hetty, like I think it's such an extreme culture that we live in and I know we're gonna talk about dieting culture probably in, in a little bit, but it's such an extreme culture of like either it's great for you or it's absolutely the worst thing you could do. And I think what that does sometimes is perpetuate some of those um either dysmorphic or those eating disorders that are that disassociate us completely from actually food and it's you know nutritional value or it's benefit for us um and I know specifically for me you know it's a really difficult one because I know this isn't an eating disorder podcast but it is it's so intrinsically linked because I do think there's that element then that I I know from myself disassociated with food for so long that it it, Mm -hmm. it's only really over the last few years that I've kind of gained any enjoyment if you will from it so actually the nutritional value for me was was whatever it was it was in an element of recovery from that eating disorder it was whatever I could put in my body was a success almost um and then having to use the building blocks moving forward with you know oh actually no this is what's good for me this is what's probably less good for me but still good in in some you know moderation in in places and it's quite a tricky one to to get around and I do think there's certainly we have a responsibility in society sometimes to be able to really spread the word of moderation and really understand that because I think there's that element if you abstain from something from so long then naturally you are going to want it and crave it and as you said Hetty, the mind is so powerful and that's where you get this binge culture or you get whatever you know people we can talk about all of the various social campaigns that have gone over the years, whether it's not drinking or it's, or it's not eating sugar or it's not doing eating carbs or whatever it may be. And it, and it really, it's amazing what the body can do to try and get back some of that, that um, those food groups, if you will, that we're trying to cut out on. Yeah, definitely. And I think that hit the nail on the head there. It's the, it's the biggest sort of difficulty with dieting, isn't it? It's that restriction and the body craving and the long-term mm-hmm. maintenance is very difficult. And I guess just one point I really would like to pick out is just the carbohydrates. 
that's a big thing that a lot of people think about when losing weight. They want to restrict it or eliminate it completely. Like just like there is nothing wrong with carbohydrates, and the, there's a lot of misconception between carbohydrates and actually our refined sugars. So we tend to think of carbohydrates sometimes as the cakes and the cookies, but actually the carbohydrates, like the whole foods, so our pastas, our rice, are, should be our staple food and should make up a large portion of what we're eating. Um, and I completely understand that some people have different sort of needs. So if you're diabetic, reducing it a little bit. But on a whole, a balanced diet, incorporating those carbohydrates is key. And so one little fact I'd like to just include here. So for um, in terms of carbohydrates, when you eat something, so pasta. So for every one gram of carbohydrate that your body stores as glycogen, um, you actually hold three grams of water with that carbohydrate. So just to give it a context, so when you're actually um, potentially cutting out carbohydrates and losing weight in that short term, in essence, you're actually losing water retention. And that's why you get that quick fix. But there's no studies or evidence to say that this happens long term. So, yeah, just a little bit of a key fact I'd like to include there. Look, guys, look, Hetty's, Hetty's just told that's us amazing. now. Hetty has told us, I'm off to the cupboard now. <laughs> I know that's not what you're saying. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, it is really useful, though, isn't it? Because I do think a lot of the stuff that we we read and, and i've had quite a few conversations about this recently about you know the social responsibility that we have you know you know peddling whatever the new newest fad is or whether the you know the newest diet pill or whatever it is a lot of this is not founded by any evidential basis or any scientific basis and that this is just something that people have found that mm. they can sell and has quick but often harmful you know uh, harmful things that that can affect ourselves not only physically but also mentally because I do think you know we're all guilty of searching for the thing that's going to make us whatever we we think we're going to be you know oh the six pack or the the you know beach body or whatever that may be and we're all yearning for that uh, in some way you know some people on a higher spectrum other people on the the lower side and I do think it's so important to do your research you know yes moderation mm-hmm. absolutely but do your research when it comes to actually is there any evidence to suggest that this is going to work or is it just getting back to the fundamentals of you know eating right healthy food groups if you feel that you need to and and do you know regular exercise whatever that may be getting yourself moving getting the heart going um and whatever that it can be low impact it can be high impact whatever suits your fancy but being able to build that into your day that it becomes routine is much more important than hitting six weeks of a diet fad that you think is going to have a massive effect. And actually it may do, but it's going to be a detrimental effect in the long run. Do you know what, Dan, you've sort of hit the nail on the head there. And I think I wish, you know, you spoke, you speak about your experiences quite openly with um, eating and things. And I've not been so open before, but I've definitely had struggles where I went through a sort of, stage in my life where I would cut out everything that I was deemed as bad in commas you know and one of them was definitely carbs but I was also sucked into that diet culture those diet pills those you know Mm. water retention pills that would you know not make you look so bloated and anything and everything I could possibly do to think that I was being healthier and just because I might have been losing weight and now obviously looking back on it I know that's not healthy not healthy at all but I do really think that we need to sort of as a society really think about how we advertise 
dieting culture. You know, there was that big thing a couple of years ago when um, there was that advert on the underground. Um, and I think it was, are you beach body ready? And I can't remember what company it was, but there was, mm. you know, it was the first time that I think people had really hit back on social media and been like, well, what is a beach body? You know, mm. what, what classifies a beach body? You just turn up and you're on a beach. There you go. You've got beach body. But because it was fixed with like a, 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 I can't remember, it might have been a diet pill or like a, a shake or something. I think it was the first time that people actually thought, no, I'm sick of seeing things like this. This isn't right. You know, that they're not based on anything. They might be. There might be something on the back of the packaging that says this works if you do X, Y and Z and incorporate this in. But, you know, does diaking culture really work? and mm. moderation surely is much more of a sustainable way of living and we just need to get that message out there definitely i couldn't agree more i think there's just so much pressure from you know, our environment and social media like you said that it's just yeah i think it's just escalating getting worse and worse and just we need to hone back into that balanced diet um and like you said portion control looking at the foods we're eating all those sort of messages rather than the, like the, yeah, the fad diets that just seem to appear out of everywhere and almost like enjoying it you know and that's the big thing you know for me certainly being on the more extreme side of it you know ems like you shared as well personal mm. lived experience with that i think i think it is important to recognize that some people a lot of people live on the periphery of that you know they live on you know yes they may not have gone through the process that i did when i was younger and have diagnoses and and had to go through some element of recovery as a lot of people do but i do think you know, it's recognizing the shifts in the social dynamic as well, which is we've seen the, you know, gauntly skinny models perpetuated, you know, all the time that this is the only acceptable. And there is nothing wrong with people being really slim or not really slim. And actually it was, you know, and then we've seen this shift into this diet culture, diet pills came and we had this huge social media movement within that, you know, people, influencers became a thing mm. and people who had no evidence base whatsoever and actually probably work out about eight times a day, but then start selling pills online that are seemingly giving you that body. And then we've got this new um, kind of era, which certainly speaking from a from a guy's perspective here, where, where we've got this um, obsessive or this OCD around muscle. And there's this muscle obsession and, and there's that, you know, there's certainly, I can't remember the name for it, Hetty, you might know it, but the um, there's like, a, it's a new form of, of addiction, which is that muscle definition. And it's about that people are so obsessed by muscle groups and slightest, you know, de depreciation in muscle mass. And, and as I said, I'm not dragging anybody that chooses their lifestyle to go out to a gym and absolutely work work themselves you know really hard to get that body like that is more power to those people absolutely but there is a a really weird shift where this is being peddled and that's the responsibility it's not to tell people not to do that because that's their life and their choice but it is a responsibility that we have in society to say that actually this is what actually it takes to have this body and this is what it you know and this is what works and this is what doesn't work rather than say that all of this stuff's works you just buy it and that'll make mean that you're all right yeah no you're absolutely right dan um so another thing to ask is um hetty what advice would you give someone um wanting to live a healthier lifestyle what are those sort of starting blocks that they can sort of begin with to to, to start their journey 
Okay, um, so I suppose the first step would be a bit of reflection. So really just consider sort of what lifestyle you're leading at the moment. Um, where would you like to be sort of in five years time? And how can you really get to there? Um, I guess if we give a bit of context, let's say you want to lose weight, because that's probably one of the easiest examples. Um, I would start off with your baseline. So start filling out a food diary. One of the biggest behavior change models is actually self-monitoring. Um, and I guess the key with that food diary is be honest with yourself. Don't write down things that you like, don't miss things that you've eaten. Um, mm-hmm. and don't write down things like if you're su- being supported by someone that you haven't eaten, etc. So an honest food diary, I'll do it for sort of yeah, the first two weeks and really look at what you're eating. And then I start off by thinking, okay, at the moment, what do you think is the biggest thing that's stopping you from losing weight? And it may be that you see on your food diary that you have chocolate, for example, after every meal. So start off by setting a little goal around that, a small realistic goal. So we call it a smarter goal. Um, but yeah, really set yourself to so say, for example, if I'm having chocolate every day um, across the week, realistically, I could probably, I don't know, I'd say for myself, I could probably reduce that to three days. So start off by setting a small realistic goal. So I'm going to only have chocolate on three days and on the other four days, I'm going to replace that habit with something else, which is key. Because you can't really, you can't, you can change your habit, but you can't eliminate it. So changing it to, for example, I'm going to have an orange and really getting that an ingrained habit. So you have that orange every time in, in place and then going on the next sort of weeks, going, going on, reduce it again if you wanted to, or you start to look at something else. So I guess, yeah, start off with a baseline, set yourself small, specific goals, make yourself accountable to someone um, and really get that support around you. I think it's really key. So if it's a partner, someone at work, someone that you can check in with, I think that's really key. Um, and then in terms of keeping the motivation up, if whatever healthier choice you're considering, make sure that you enjoy it and make sure that you've got a reason behind why you're doing it. What is the motivation? Is it you're losing weight because you, you potentially have got prediabetes and you don't want to get type 2, for example? Um, is it that you just want to improve your mental well-being and you want to go for a walk because you know it makes yourself feel better? So I guess, yeah, that, that's the, the key message that I would give. You raised something really interesting there, Hattie. It's like the honesty part I picked up on. So it's also like being honest with yourself. And I wonder how honest people are with themselves when it comes to their lifestyles and sort of how healthy they think they are. Because I wonder if I was to really look at my lifestyle, am I really that healthy? Are there things that I could be doing? And like you say, it might not be a whole weight loss journey. It might not be something that you really need to give up for a certain reason, but it could just be sort of monitoring what you're doing day to day and thinking, is there something else I could be doing? Is there something else that could make me feel a little bit better and sort of get into the habit of doing that? Yeah, no, definitely. I think just the honesty is so key because we, we kind of become a bit defensive in ourselves. We might say, oh, we've, We've tried to make this change so many times that it just doesn't work. Actually Mm. sort of home in a little bit and think, why didn't it work? There is normally a reason. And sometimes there's exceptions. So again, with weight loss, it could be they've got a medical condition, for example. But most of the time, there is either a trigger or something that didn't work. And I think just being honest about that and just giving yourself another go, like nothing's easy, is it? We don't achieve things that are good by just doing something as a quick fix. So you've got to keep working at it. Um, Yeah, and just, yeah, really be honest with yourself perfect there's just one more that I want to pick your brain on and we might have touched we might have touched on it already um it was sort of earlier I mentioned about the water you know when you know you might not be hungry you might just be thirsty yes I think correct me if I'm wrong 
but the guidance is to sort of drink is it eight glasses which amounts to about two liters of fluid a day is yep. that right that yeah. you sort of should be should be having I don't know we speak a lot about food um but you know how important is it that we try and meet that goal to hydrate ourselves and sort of what happens to our body when we don't reach that goal? Because I know a lot of people are probably like, yes, I know I should drink more water, but I wonder if they know, you know, what actually happens to your body when you don't. Yeah, no, definitely. So you pretty much got it right there, Emily. It's, it's six to eight cups um, of water a day. Um, and one thing I'd like to just highlight is the resource, the Eat Well um, guide. It's a visual of a plate and it tells you how many cups of water and how much food contributions you should have from carbs, veg. So yeah, six to eight cups, that's NHS as well. Um, that does roughly equate to two liters but just one thing to consider if you're exercising you're obviously sweating more you need to replenish that so a little bit more Mm -hmm. so yeah that's pretty much yeah the guidance is good in terms of um, the the benefits of water so water as most of us know is so essential so it makes up a large contribution of the plasma in our blood and our blood is responsible for transporting around all those nutrients um, around our body to help our cells function um, and yeah obviously keep living so in, in essence, with, with water, you know, just a bit of an example, our brain is actually made up of 70% of water. So if we're dehydrated or we're not getting the six to eight cups a day, our cognitive function is likely to um, have a negative yeah, impact. So we're more likely to not be able to concentrate. Um, we might feel more tired. And actually, our brain actually has to work harder because it's not got the fuel to basically keep it going. So yeah, getting the water in really helps with everything, um, physical and mental. Yeah, benefits. Thank you, Hetty. I have learned a lot there. <laughs> um, only because I obviously try and drink that much, but I don't think it's always water. I think I'm quite guilty of having sort of too much coffee. So I'll think, oh, it's fine. It's fluid. It counts. But actually, that much coffee, you know, probably isn't great for me. I mean, the fluid part might be good, but the coffee part, maybe not. That's a good point to pick up there. So, yeah, in terms of the six to eight cups of water, I should say that is fluid. So, yeah, it can be your coffees. It can be um, your sugar-free squashes, um, all those sorts of drinks. So that's fine. I guess, yeah, just something to think about. Obviously, the coffee um, has caffeine in it, which is a stimulant, but actually can impact our sleep and make us feel irritable. So just being careful of how much, yeah, coffee intake we're having. Um, ultimately, yeah, the water is the best option, but there's nothing wrong with, yeah, your coffees and your sugar-free squashes and all those sorts of um, fluids. Oh, phew. Thought I was going to lose <laughs> You're <all> right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's already on 20, 20 cups already. <laughs> the microphone is shaking. <laughs> Brilliant. I suppose with, with uh, caffeine's an interesting one, isn't it? And a lot of us use coffee to wake ourselves up in the morning. I guess the thing with that is just to think about is um, how late you're having it. If you're having it at like 8 p.m. and you go to bed at 10 p.m., it might not be a good idea because it is a stimulant, so it can keep you awake. So just considering maybe having it a little bit earlier on the day, spreading it out, thinking about decaffeinated just look at where you are and what small change you can make if, it, if it's something that's impacting you. Amazing. Well, I think I can speak for myself and probably Dan, the listeners there. I think that's been such an informative chat and I could probably talk about this topic forever and ever and ever and ever. But Hetty, thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant to have you on. Um, and maybe we could even do another episode um, later down the line and go into this a bit more. Um, but it's been absolutely brilliant thank you Um, and thank you to everybody that's listening Um, hope you've had a good afternoon evening morning whatever you might be up to and hope you can join us again next time